You're listening to Richmond Famous, a podcast about food, culture, and community in Richmond, Virginia. I'm Laura Sant. I'm Nicole Lang. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 3, where Pomona Plants is Richmond. So what do we have going on this week? This week, we've got Fraser and Melissa McCoo from Pomona Plants. Uh, coffee shop slash soda fountain slash plant shop slash salon slash respite from the city on the corner of Venable and 21st Street in Church Hill. It's a serene place where you can sit, have some coffee, maybe a little toast, and buy some plants that have been so well cared for that they won't die instantly when you bring them home. (laughs) I can vouch for that. And they have a lot of community events that are usually held on Sundays, I believe. I think they just had one, right? Mm-hmm. They just did a coffee cupping yesterday. Um, so we sat down with them in their plant utopia, and we talked about how they got started in the plant biz, plus herbalism. What else? Uh, self-care, which is all the rage these days. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Wellness, soda fountains. Um, actually, that was a really fascinating uh, part of the interview when she talks about the um, uh, the juxtaposition of the old soda fountain and what it meant back in the day and how people are kind of re-embracing that right now. Yeah. And, um, and th- their space really embodies that, I think. It used to be a soda fountain back in the day. Yes. Uh, what, what else do we talk about? Breads and spreads. Oh, yes. <laughs> old Richmond versus new Richmond. It's a fascinating little show. It is. So uh, why don't you stay tuned? So if, would you guys mind um, introducing yourselves and telling us what you do? I'm Fraser McCoo. I am owner-proprietor of Pomona with... Melissa McCoo, his wife and co-owner of Pomona. And what is Pomona, this glorious, uh, idyllic spot that we're sitting in now? Do we have an echo? I think we do. I like it. Pomona is a plant shop and also a cafe that specializes in house-made sodas and pour-over coffees. It's kind of what happens to a plant shop when you get like four times as much space as your old plant shop. And then you're like, you know what? What else can we do? Or what happens to a soda shop when a bunch of plants move in? So tell us the origin of this soda shop come plant shop come. I had a small plant shop a few blocks away from here for two some years and felt like we needed more space and saw a, um, a listing for a sublease for what was already a very 1950s style soda fountain meets hardware store kind of thing happening and um when I came to talk to the owner of that business and realized he was not taking his coffee soda program with him um I asked if we could adopt it and he was very enthusiastic about that possibility so um we kind of have a bit of a silent partner in the previous owner in that he's just been kind of guiding us in our earliest stages um and and he's a coach he's a life coach (laughs) and and that's true from drew dayberry from roaring pines and um 
he just did a really good job with the transition of us coming into the space, kind of showed us the ropes of a few things. And also uh, we, we've been fortunate enough to adopt a lot of his regulars, which are also neighbors. And um, yeah, I mean, that was pretty integral in us getting us like getting us over a certain uh, uh, boundary of like what we could do or like, should we do this and he was his enthusiasm and encouragement and help was like key to getting us through these doors and like confident in what that we could do it and get it up and running talk about the the vibe talk about the plants talk about why I come in here and it's like oh it's so nice and peaceful yeah do you want to describe Nicole just like briefly what it looks like in here because we're sitting in here right now as we record yeah for you losers who haven't been in here yet (laughs) um and it's 2025 venable Mm -hmm. um on the tip of is it union hill still here yeah Yeah. i got all that right look at that union hill you you walk in and immediately it's like calming colors it's like it looks like a gray and like a the lightest green maybe a hint of like a yellow I don't even maybe I'm (laughs) colorblind I don't but it's instant it's like all the tones I want in my bedroom um and then there's a wall of plants there's plants surrounding us there's plants everywhere there's plant um beautiful what's the thicket what's that the uh, thicket design yeah thicket design um uh, art on the walls there's hanging dried flowers there's these beautiful pendant lamps that I can't remember if they were in here originally but Mm -hmm. they totally work with the space there's macrame it's just it's definitely peaceful and beautiful and you can also you know eat and drink here so I I, if you haven't been I you got to come in but, um, but yeah, so what? So it's different than Gather. The old Gather was a shoebox, which recently we've, we've sort of discovered some of the merits that a tiny plant store had. You know, you really felt when you entered that space kind of overwhelmed by plant life. I think, I think it's been a challenge in some ways to move into this space because it did have a very distinct style built for the previous owner and in some ways we're still trying to figure out how to grow into it I think you asked what is the vibe of this place one thing that we learned when we were kind of researching what Drew was already doing with this um, soda fountain idea was going back to the history of soda fountains which you mentioned this space actually was an apothecary at one point Um, so drugstores used to also function as soda fountains Um, and that was because in the industrial era and really busy dirty cities um, people needed a place to go I mean this is like pre-air conditioning and you would enter a soda fountain in the middle of the day you know your clothes were formal and stuffy there was horse poop in the street so you would go into these um, soda fountains and they would have you know long cool marble countertops and fans and they would serve bubbles um, based on the idea that these springs these spring waters natural springs were supposed to be healthy and rejuvenating and um, that's kind of how the soda fountain began and they would flavor the waters and back then they would use herbs to flavor the waters mostly and then of course 
we kind of adopted that and added sugar and all this other crap. Um, so anyway, in learning about that, it, it helped that transition that was a little confusing to us at first in that the plants and the past few years teaching people how to bring plants back into their home and we're kind of in a new form of industrial age as far as the amount of technology we're all being attacked with and I think that's why there has been this huge shift back to um, learning how to bring plants into the home and all these younger generations learning and making plant ownership a hobby getting into um, herbalism and stuff. getting back yeah. into herbalism and self-care and wellness and so it's kind of really reminiscent of that time when the soda the original soda fountain was born so we just kind of took that idea and fused it with what we were doing with plants and Fraser has just sort of run with it in the menu side of things as far as coming up with herbal based sodas shrubs things that are meant to be rejuvenating and to help you take a pause in your day we struggled a little bit to agree on some menu things but I think it was worth all of that because it we both are still liking the the menu concept and I think it's come out come out to be a good representation of both of us in the end so why don't you tell tell people what what what's on the menu and Um, like including the drinks whatever you want to talk about yeah I mean we start we start on purpose with coffee because that's like familiar Um, and you know we do Blanchard's coffee. We don't ha- offer espresso, um, but we do coffee drinks and we do coffee pour overs um, of single origin coffee. Uh, it's like a nice, simple approach to coffee in that you can like talk about if you want to, if, or if one wants to like celebrate um, unique co- coffees from like a single origin farm from around the world. Uh, then it's just like a simpler approach to enjoying coffee than like say a latte um and not that we have anything against espresso but um we have uh locally blended teas of organic uh tea leaves and things and herbs uh we carry locally made kombucha and then we make uh sodas shrubs and other kinds of milky drinks what you call milks, uh, all in-house. And then there's just like a kind of a humble food menu of uh, toasts and grilled breads. Um, I like to say grilled breads more than toasts. Toast sounds a little bit... L.A. Yeah, something <laughs> something that doesn't... Yeah. Like toast is something I mess up in the morning at, at home, and I don't talk about it. <laughs> Yeah, burnt the toast again, but I'm going to force myself to eat it. Um, no, but yeah, grilled bread, which we get from Subrosa because uh, Richmond is really lucky to have a place like Subrosa, and there's no other place like it, so why wouldn't we carry their bread? Of course. You know, yeah. and they're right around the corner. And um, So we just make a bunch of spreads, savory and sweet, uh, that goes with the grilled bread, and that's like the sort of the simple uh, food order, and then we get kind of get little more creative with our limitations back here because mm-hmm. it's not like we have a hood or any kind of oven um, to speak of so we sort of we have a toaster oven 
That's true. <laughs> um, and we, you know, we had to figure out a way to do eggs, and so we did. So we do these little egg casseroles um, where we like poach an egg in a sauce, and we just let it go. It takes like 10, 15 minutes. You have a little thing to dip your bread in. Mm. It's almost like a celebration of bread, though we didn't really mean it to be. <laughs> um, I think it's pretty common for coffee shops to have bread. And we knew that we were a coffee shop, but we knew we wanted to be different. So we didn't want to do a bagel and we didn't want to do a muffin. And that's sort of how the breads and spreads came about. And honestly, we're parents. And a lot of the time, the way our kids graze, they they don't really sit and eat meals. They don't They don't have the attention span. So we were finding ourselves making dinners out of essentially like cheese and crackers and nuts and fruit and bread and spreads and that was how we were eating it's kind of an awesome way to eat they're kind of ahead of the curve yeah and and it just you know just to have a little something to balance your coffee but something that wasn't a muffin that wasn't a bagel I eat all those things I like all those things but um because the space is so different and I I don't know I I don't want to sound pretentious in saying that we wanted something a bit more European, but we did, or I did anyway, feel inspiration. Like you were saying, this place feels like a respite from the city. I didn't want people to feel like they were coming here for breakfast or they were coming here for lunch per se, but they could come treat themselves to a snack and just have a little bit of food. And it wasn't a commitment. So even the egg dishes that we have, they're modest in size, but they're definitely enough to feel satiated. And um, he does make some sweet cakes that are delicious as well. So um, I guess we have that in common with other coffee shops. But that that was important to me, just simple, honest, straightforward food that wasn't really fussy. Yeah, I mean, again, we were working within limitations, but we wanted to have something like a unique experience that people could enjoy. And hopefully people could come in, not realize they were hungry and be like, oh, well, that sounds good. And I it's not a big commitment. You know, I'll just get six dollar plate of food. Uh, yeah, well, our mantra was we we're I think we we're at like a restaurant supply store. and We're like, we're not a re- we're not a restaurant. We're a plant shop that serves food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, right? We don't be a so, yes, mm-hmm. let's talk about that for a second because <laughs> you guys are kind of like an ex-restaurant power couple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> right. So, let, so can you can you guys go into your uh, histories? History. Yeah, like where where how you came to live in Richmond? If you're from here or not? How you met? The whole restaurant thing. When I met you guys, you were both at a restaurant. Um, so yeah, just give us the whole tale. Um, we're both born and raised Richmond. Um, I went to VCU here, but Fraser spent time elsewhere, um, which you can go into detail about. But I have an art degree, which automatically puts me in the restaurant world. <laughs> He's a musician, <laughs> so that probably helped too. Um, so yeah, I've, I've kind of, and I have an older brother who is a chef and has been in this city, you know, for a long time, early 90s, late 80s, you know. 
Um, yeah. So I've I've worked everywhere from like Mama Zoo to Panda Garden, if anyone even remembers what that is. And um, for more notable places like the old Six Burner and Dutch Dutch and Company, and just had. I was just always surrounded by people who knew what they were doing in restaurants. Um, and even though it seemed like a, just like a side job for a college kid, it, it definitely was making an impression on me and the way these people and women were running businesses that I was working for made an impression on me. And then I had the benefit of working with my family, my brother, when he opened a place. Can you tell us who your brother is? My brother is Kevin Roberts, and he now owns Pearly's and Swan Dive. And we pretty we collaborated, essentially, to open the Black Sheep. Um, I had just closed a small art gallery that I had for a few years. And um, he was at a place and time where he was kind of floundering for what to do next and I really pushed him after seeing this space for rent to just do it uh, for better or for worse he did he's very talented um, and it was a very special spot that really I think represented a lot of us as a family my mom was there as well and at that point Fraser and I were dating and he started working in the kitchen so it was truly for the first three years a very intense family affair um, that was certainly a venue to learn a lot about how to put into place everything I had absorbed from the previous places I had worked and also just understand what it means to truly be a small business as far as working with your family um, and communication. And I don't think without that experience, Fraser and I could do this successfully because it really forced us to talk. That and the farming internship. I also knew nothing when I got a job at Black Sheep. I was oh, just, really? I knew yeah. nothing. Oh, I didn't realize I didn't that. I was delivering food before that. I didn't really have a serious food job until the Black Sheep, and <laughs> I maybe conned myself into making Kevin sure. making Kevin believe that <laughs> I could help him. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I he was he was fun to learn from because you know he just puts it all out there, and I can take it or leave it. <laughs> so so that was that was cool. That was a cool way to learn. But um, I would say if we were drinking wine or, or 40s to pour one out for the Black Sheep, because it was yeah. a really uh, quintessential yeah. Yeah. Richmond spot. It and um, it was certainly one of the first places I had been when I fell in love with Richmond. And it was like where I ended up taking every. I'm like, if you're coming off the plane, we're going to Black Sheep. Everyone miss, misses the sandwiches. Yeah. I mean, it's just it was great. And that happened here. Like uh, a, a guy came in, met a group of friends he'd moved away from Richmond and they were like, let's just check out this new place. And uh, they were just getting drinks and, you know, getting reacquainted. And then the guy from out of town was like, where should we get? Let's get dinner. Yeah. Um, well, let's go to Black Sheep. And they all looked at him like, oh, you don't know the Black Sheep closed. Oh. And I had looked on his face. I realized I hadn't been, I hadn't properly mourned the Black Sheep because <laughs> I was just like right there with him. I was like, might as well have been him, you know. He looked like he was going to cry. It was very sad. It was a special place. <laughs> it was a special place. Yeah. Um, and I'll add, highly influential to, rep, you know, restaurants that opened after that. 
Like oh, absolutely. Just so many, oh, we can make this smaller restaurant, you know, a bit more creative and elevated, if you will. For native Richmonders, I'd love to get the take on what you think is what you like, what you don't like. What I mean, if you have opinions, don't hold them back. We, we love to hear it all. <laughs> Yeah, I I feel very fortunate that I got to live in Richmond during what I think was a really special era. Um, I remember riding my bike just down the middle of any street in the fan because there were no cars, there were no people. Um, and that, it, it was pretty much then just about the music and the art scene not really very much about the food at all and it it was cool it was cool but I mean there were things wrong with it too it was a very conservative city then there was not a lot of youth um to support liberal ideas there wasn't enough youth really to support small businesses like this one it's a double-edged sword it's great to see this influx of people supporting small businesses and making smaller shops viable. Um, but of course with that, you lose a little bit of the charm that came from something smaller and a little bit more individualistic. And it's, it's been a little hard to see chains penetrate the city. I do hope that the smaller mom pop places, places like the bamboo, um, <coughs> these, these places can survive the shift because I think Richmond would really lose its personality if they were squeezed out by these larger investments. But yeah, there's, you know, it's always a tale of two cities when these things happen. So and Richmond's been that way for a while, I guess. When I had none such, if I had none such now, it would survive. But I opened this weird art gallery meets clothing store in a time when there was very little liberal thought, very little young money. Um, I, I mean, I just, and again, back to the restaurant worlds, there was waiting in certain restaurants. You really, and I worked for a high end art gallery. There were a few families running the city at one point and so while I mourn the intimacy of what Richmond used to be um the lack of cars and all that the diversity that's entered in <coughs> is is exciting to me because I I know that a place like Nunsuch would survive now and there are places like that surviving now because of the growth of population and and that conservative thinking that really ran the city and I don't just mean politics I mean what restaurants thrived what clothing stores thrived were the ones catering to a very older southern clientele um so it's great to see just funkier more diverse more ethnic inclusive places thriving because of 
the youth culture. And I, I think that moved in because of the city's expansion. So. Yeah. And I think I talk about the change with um, a little re- reservation because I, I, I think um, it seems a bit unsustainable as time goes on. And the only way we can keep this up is if families stay at least close to the city and support all of these businesses. So we've talked about, you know, we've gotten to coffee shop. That makes sense with your restaurant background. How can you talk a little bit about how the plant side comes into play? Where did that come from? Fraser and I decided when we were at the Black Sheep previously mentioned that we were kind of burnt out from restaurant stuff but still had a passion for food and that led us to a farming internship in Maine. Uh, We just wanted to know more about the process of growing the food that we'd been working with. So we went to Maine for six months and worked with a family that (coughs) had a four acre organic um, produce farm, but they also had we had like 25 or 30 pigs, 30 30 free range pigs, five free range cows. Um, and it was myself, Fraser and the couple that owned it and their two little girls. And we worked with them side by side for six months, just learning the ins and outs of food production from growing it literally from seed to the final stages of taking all the animals to slaughter. Um, And that really cemented for us a passion for growing. And when we came back to the city, we really tried to find our own farming situation, um, (coughs) which we just didn't have the finances for. And we were just after that growing and growing and doing these pop-up sidewalk spring seedling sales so in the fan we would set up a card table with vegetable seedlings and then we did one in Churchill and we loved all the Churchill neighbors they were obviously growers they just had really interesting questions about the seedlings and we sold everything and around the same time a co-worker of mine at Dutch and Company was trying to leave her storefront and I made a comment about how it had the right light to be a plant shop and she was like well you should make it a plant shop and I I I, my first son was about a year old I was sort of trying to rediscover myself outside of motherhood and Fraser was incredibly supportive and said yeah try it so um the house plants worked their way in we still every spring offer you know our seedlings that we start at home in our hoop house for people's gardens kind of focused on a city grower and what a city person has room for in their yard um so it seems like a weird bridge to jump from food into plants but our yeah selling plants kind of came from that point of growing food can you talk about what, how you choose the plants that you, um, that you have here in the, the shop? The house plants? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was stunned to learn that people, when I had Gather, it was really strange. I think it was right on the cusp of this houseplant wave that has crashed over us. And people would come in and be like, what is this? 
place what do you sell I was like I sell I sell plants like they did not know what a plant shop was right. it was really strange so I was like okay nobody knows anything let's go back to square one so I tried really hard to pick plants that I felt like would be successful for people um, but also in using my art degree I do find textures and the architecture of the plant and various colors I try to balance all of that to make it interesting so that you're not just taking home a plant that looks like the plant you got last time but really really a focus on how is how is this buyer going to be successful with their plant ownership so that they feel good about themselves and they feel good about their purchase so we do a lot of coaching and we do a lot of one-on-one when people are shopping um but yeah I'm looking for something that has a personality that I think is going to match a city dweller a person a plant that has a personality and I'll throw in some more exotic varieties here and there for the customers I know are ready to go to the next level and maybe take on a little bit more but most of them are laid back and that's why I choose them I, I I frustrate some of my customers because I just won't <laughs> carry certain fussy plants. I just won't carry certain plants because I know they're gonna die. Yeah, and I just don't want them to die. <laughs> like I, as I wistfully looked at a maiden fern I saw earlier in the day, and I was like, not again, yeah. not again. <laughs> You're you look alive and beautiful there, but you won't be for long if I bring you home. Um, do you have anything else you want? Yes, you do. Yeah. Do you guys? Well. Talk about the kind of events that you do here, because I've seen some pop-ups and things happen. Um, what's up with that? Oh, and be sure to mention how people can follow you to learn about the events. Yeah, yeah, we do most of our advertising on our Instagram account, uh, Pomona Plants, one word. How's that? Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we, you know, we just part of having the space. The one of the benefits is that we can host uh, events. Um, but so far, we've done workshops, usually on Sundays. Um, Melissa has a great reoccurring workshop that's Houseplants 101, where she just gets into houseplant history and, um, you know, the basics of care and how people kill the plants <laughs> and <laughs> how not to kill them. And, I mean, it's very, very approachable and people uh have gotten a lot out of it you get a plant you can learn how to repot plants um what else have we done here Most we had a tea meditation yesterday the um sydney who makes the teas that we sell um which is roots rva teas she um, invited a circle of us to walk through what it means to meditate with a cup of tea, <laughs> which was actually really helpful and wonderful and a beautiful way to start a Sunday. Um, and I think we'll probably do that one again. So, and they're usually on Sundays? Yeah, Sunday's a shorter day. So, and it's just, I don't know, Sunday morning's just kind of a nice, peaceful time to maybe do something for yourself, which I, I see the workshops kind of being you know, a way to treat yourself. Um, the week before that we did a, we had a local nutritionist who is just a regular customer of ours. I asked her one day, I was like, what's, what's your top number one piece of advice for someone who wants to feel better? And she said, sleep. People don't get enough sleep. And I was 
I was like, would you like to come here and talk about that? So she did a little, um, we just had like a little workshop on how to create nightly rituals for yourself uh, to aid in better sleep habits. And I think the space going back to the vibe thing, it's just very bright and peaceful and kind of lends itself to being a nice place to gather together for something like that. Um, and yeah, I think we just, again, just want to support the people around us who are supporting us. You know, like I said, the <coughs> Shelly Rose who did the workshop on sleep, she's a regular of ours and I'm very interested in what she's doing. And it was nice to give her a space to share that. And I got to benefit from that. And, um, it brings people here who haven't been here yet yeah. and hopefully they'll come back. They have. And the same with Sydney. She's been supportive of us and it was nice to see her talents at, you you know, at work and to offer her a space for that. So yeah, it's just a little give and take. I think Fraser has some shrub making stuff in the wings um, oh, nice. I mean, I think we'd like to host a little, like, SCOBY sharing party where we someone that takes the reins of how to make a good kombucha. Mm -hmm. um, swap meat. Yeah. Um, last year at Gather, we did a um, fundraiser for Evergreen Cemetery. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. And, yeah, neighbors brought in, like, old plants and um, digging tools and pots to swap for other stuff and um, all the sales went to um, the beautification of Evergreen and the cleaning up process. Evergreen That's Cemetery. great. I just saw something about that like yesterday about how um, those efforts have advanced for Evergreen Cemetery. Yeah. That it's awesome. taken off. It's great. Uh, thank you guys so much. This was really, really awesome. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you. So people this can follow fun. you at Pomona Plants on Instagram. Is that right? That's right. And Facebook. Um, and, yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening. Richmond Famous is hosted, produced, and edited by us. Laura Sant and Nicole Lang. Our theme song is Funky Virginia by Sir Guy. Please rate us and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow us at richmondfamous.com and at RVAFamous on Twitter and Instagram. Bye! Bye.